Welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we're going to talk about everything you need to rise up from the ranks and land that next leadership position. Maybe you want that promotion. Maybe you want that title with more responsibility. Perhaps you're aiming for that manager role, that director or VP role for that firm you are in love with. Well, this is your episode. To speak on this topic, I brought on career and leadership development expert, Kimberly Cummings. Kimberly is an accomplished speaker and podcast host whose mission it is to empower women and people of color in the workplace. Her personal and professional development company, Manifest Yourself LLC, provides in-person and virtual workshops, trainings, and coaching to professionals looking to lead a dynamic career in life. Kimberly has had the opportunity to speak to and create workshops for many organizations, including the New Jersey Conference for Women, Princeton University, and National Sales Network, among others. She is also on the board of directors for the Power of You Teens organization. Next Move, Best Move, Transitioning into a Career You'll Love is her first book. What's holding you back from taking on that leadership role? Well, in this episode, Kimberly will dig deep into common fears and challenges and possible solutions to level up from employee to leader. So let's launch right into it with our 225th episode of the Let's Say Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. Kimberly, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks again for having me. I love that. I'm always listening to my own bio, I think is always so odd. And knowing that, what did you say we're on? Like episode 200 and something? 225. 225. All right. So here we go. Yes, I am so excited. And yeah, it's a a very weird, surreal experience listening to your own bio. But I was just so impressed by not only what you've done for all the job seeker community, but within the realm of leadership. I know this is something that we haven't talked enough about on this podcast. And I put the stat up on the show notes, but according to a recent U.S. unemployment data, this is from the BLS, the median unemployment duration in May 2021, so that's a recent stat, was 19.3 weeks or five months of median unemployment. So I imagine when we're talking about leadership, it tends to be harder for people within those positions to get roles. Unemployment tends to be longer. So how does being a job seeker from a leadership perspective differ from a normal job seeker? So many times when we're thinking about more senior leaders, there's a lot more to consider. There's also fewer opportunities, right? The higher you go, there's fewer opportunities for you to get into some of those traditional leadership roles. So that's why I believe networking, relationship building, having this mindset of always being open to opportunities is so crucial. It's not that you are always like ready to jump, right? You're ready to jump ship every time like the tide gets a little high. It's that you're continuously understanding what's happening in your industry, keeping track of your relationships, knowing and having a pulse on what's happening in your industry. I think it's so crucial so that when things like this happen, you're able to reach your arms out to your network and learn about new opportunities. As we know, the more senior that you go many times there is a succession plan in place. They're already kind of thinking about who's going to be in line internally, externally. So it's so important to be considered as one of those people, even if it could be a year, two years, three years out. That makes so much sense. And it's there are different nuances clearly that you know define the leadership job search. And so I think that's why it's so important to call that out. 
And um, one question I wanted to ask you is what major obstacles are leaders facing in their job search? What are you seeing that leaders are facing that the typical job seeker may not see? So when we're talking about more senior leadership, I think one of the Mm -hmm. biggest challenges right now is understanding how to adapt in such a changing world, how to ensure that you're able to keep up to date with what's happening in your industry. How do you apply it with the changes, but also make sure that your organization is doing well during that time. I think when we talk about employees, and I mean like less senior employees, one of the things that people always say is that um, professionals leave managers. They don't leave companies. I've heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important. The first chapter in my book is the last chapter that I wrote, actually. It was one of those, like, let me get this in real quick. It was serving as a people leader is a privilege, not a rite of passage. And so many people stumble into leadership roles, but I think it's really important that understanding what the people in an organization need is almost just as important as the work. Sure. And so to delve into that, because I don't think that's a topic that we can speak enough about, but how do we people do that specifically? How do we get that information as leaders? To be a better people leader, I'm assuming you're chatting about. So the reason why I wrote this chapter, and honestly, like early preview. I think this is what I want my next book to be about. Um, once I recover from this book, um, there's not <laughs> it's gonna a, take some time. It's yes. a lot of hard work. Oh yes. Yes. Indeed. Maybe two years, maybe we'll see. But I feel like you have to really seek out this information. I'm sure there's other books on it as well that are out there right now, but many times you literally stumble into these roles. So the first thing I tell every leader is that you have to be a human, right? And by be a human, it means understand the people on your team from a people perspective, not just from a work and talent and skill perspective understand what motivates them, understand why they're at that company. How do they work best? In my last job, my last few jobs in corporate America, one of the first things I do with anyone who works with me is I do a working styles quiz to understand like what motivates you? What doesn't motivate you? How do you like to receive feedback? What is the most common misconception about you in the workplace? That's my favorite question because people will tell you, like, if you see them do A, you're going to think that it's B and really like, no, 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 no. It's actually C. So don't get upset when you see this. Um, what, what are past mistakes that managers have made when working with that person? And what inspires you to work harder? I ask probably about 20 or so questions that I ask every person on my team to fill out just so I can understand who they are and how to best work with them. I think it really starts with being a human the same way you are a friend to your friends, right? I think we need to bring a little bit more of that to the workplace while still making sure that we're driving performance. Agreed. It's not all like transactions, you know, back and forth between you and the people who you're going to be leading. It's human psychology, really being able to lead people with that empathy. You're inspiring me right now because I need to listen back to this own episode and, you know, take some of those questions that you've proposed um, to people on my team. I think that's that's just genius. So transitioning over to the the job search, I know it gets very competitive when people are fighting. I use the word fighting. Maybe it's not fighting, but it competing like for it. those, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like when people are, you know, fighting for these leadership roles, it can be very tough. It's competitive. So how do I stand out against all of those dozens or possibly, I don't know, hundreds of other applicants who are, who are competing with me in the job search? So again, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I feel like it really is the relationships. It's having that insider information. I teach all of my clients that you have to have insider information when you're applying for jobs out there. And that's at any level. Mm -hmm. It's not just for super senior leaders. In order for you to really have your pulse on what's happening and to understand um, the nuances of whatever role you're applying for, you need insider information. And that comes through relationships. Of course, you can apply through traditional channels. 
I've done it. I've gotten jobs through applying cold, 100%. It's done all the online. time. Yes, okay. online all the time. Okay. It, it happens to, to people every single day. But when you want to have additional information to make sure that you can really kill your interview process, the relationships really help. So for example, I always say that when a manager is hiring for a role, like they're backfilling a role that someone just moved on from, there generally is something they really, really need. So there's a job description that has the, the laundry list of all the things that the person will be doing. But there's probably a few key things on there that the manager's like, you know what, if they've got these, I will train them on the rest. Like we can figure it out but I really need these one or two things. If you have insider information, they can tell you, someone can tell you what those one to two things are. So you really drill down on those in your interview process versus a cold applicant may position themselves um, kind of aligning to all the skill sets and not really doubling down on those. So you're essentially speaking to what the manager wants if you have insider information. That's the example I always give just to show the power of relationship that can really help you through the process. I love that so much. And I'm even thinking like, if I knew those two key pieces of information or those two requirements that the company is, is really looking for within a leader, that's something that I want to address at the top of my resume. Yes. This is coming from my resume writer perspective, or even the cover letter, something that is controversial. I get that a lot. People, not everyone believes in the cover letter, but I think if you're able to address those two key pieces of information within the cover letter through the insider information that you talked about, then that's the type of stuff that gets me noticed and says, okay, this person is going to be exactly what we're looking for within the company. A hundred percent. I think that probably is a really good way to write a cover letter. So I don't know what your perspective is on the cover letters. I mean, you definitely want to know because I know people hate them. I personally have hated applying for them and I've worked in career services for years and in talent acquisition, <laughs> hated writing cover letters. But yeah. I do think I've told clients before, like if you have something special that you want to highlight, if you have something nuanced that you want to explain or drill down on, that definitely is the time to do it in a cover letter just to, even if they're glossing, like make that gloss worth it, that will make them read it. Um, and that's a great example that you gave of how to kind of drill down on that, especially for those folks who are like, I ain't writing a cover letter. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, and I just want to go back to it, delve into it just one more time, since I think this concept of insider information is great. So if I don't have that insider information for let's say a company that I'm applying for, clearly it seems to me that the way to go out and get that is to network or just to start building relationships with people. So would you say that that's true? And if that's the case, how would I go ahead and do that best? Yes, a hundred percent. And I think there's a few different ways to build relationships. I think there's almost the cold outreach, right? Like finding people on LinkedIn, connecting, inviting people to coffee. I'm a big believer in making the bar very low. So hey, I noticed that we both went to this college. I'd love to learn a little bit more about how you got to this company. Would you be open to hopping on a quick 15-minute chat just to kind of get to know each other? And then from there, you build a relationship. So building from your alumni network or building from professional associations, cold outreach, or building from introductions. I'm very big on asking for introductions. Anyone in my network, especially more senior folks, one of my favorite questions to ask is, um, is there anyone else in your network who you feel would be beneficial for me to speak to? And that's gotten some really great introductions. Recently, I had a call with a career coach um, who's a good friend of mine. I was like, all right, I need you to take your friend hat off and put your career coach on. And I'm like, I really need to meet people in this area. Um, what are your recommendations? Because sometimes it's hard to do it for yourself. And she was like, yeah. oh, girl, no problem. Sent me an email introduction to five people in her network who were aligned with what I was looking to do. Awesome. And because it was a warm introduction, I got responses back from everyone. I got emails back. I got 
dates on my calendar, it all just steamrolled so quickly to make sure I was able to make those connections versus it probably would have taken a little bit longer without someone making the introduction. That makes a lot of sense. That's really cool that this person was your friend. And I even heard this is feedback from a past career coach guest we had on this podcast, but it was quite the bold statement. But she said, don't make business connections, make friends. Because at the end of the day, your friends are the ones who are really going to put their heart into helping you to make those connections that you need to make. And so it sounds like in in your example that this person just really went for it and was able to go and make that happen for you. So 100%. I think when we think about networking, one of the reasons why it's so difficult is because we put this weight on it. We think about it very old school, right? I'm sure you've been to a ton of these events and they're terrible. When you walk into some big room, there's a bar on the end of the room and everyone's just in this huge mass all over their room. And you walk in by yourself and you think like, all right, I have to network. And it's this thought of just like walking up to a complete stranger and making a friend. And that's intimidating. Like I'm an introvert. I can definitely flex my extrovert side, but me walking into that room, I'm just like, how can I find someone like in the corner who looks and feels like I do so that we can kind of talk about how we feel awkward together? It's very intimidating. But I think when you think about (laughs) it from a friend perspective and you get to know them on a deeper level, it gives you more to talk about. And it also builds that like no trust factor so that they don't just understand you as a colleague and a worker, but they understand you as a person. And as we start to talk about things like sponsorship, and true mentorship or getting yourself in rooms that you weren't invited to. Um, people need to understand your character and they only understand yeah. your character from a deeper relationship. I know I referred folks to jobs who I wish I did not. Um, sure, because you didn't really know who they were. <laughs> exactly. But when you really know someone, you get that high quality referral. I say like all the yeah. time, you can get the referral one is like, oh my gosh. So I work with Chris. He's pretty good. You know, I think he'd be great. He could do the job. Or you get the, oh my gosh, when Chris and I had our first conversation, he was in the car. We talked about his podcast. I learned about the name. His interview (laughs) doc for what he was going to do was incredible. I know his diligence is top notch. I definitely think he'd be able to do this job because if A, B, C, and D let me serve as a reference, I will gladly talk to the manager. Everybody wants reference two. They don't want reference one. And that comes from deeper relationships. I love that. And I think for this podcast episode, that's the perfect segue into talking about this concept of the tribe network. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we talked about in our last phone call. But I love this concept. You said this is something that was good for not only leaders to have, but anyone who is looking to further their professional development. So can you talk about this concept of tribe network and how I can use it? Definitely. So I believe every professional should have four key relationships and multiple people in each category. So the four main relationships are peers. Those are people internal and external to your company. These are people who are kind of doing the same type of work that you do. It allows you to benchmark and stay up to date on what's happening in your company. These are also the folks you'll be collaborating with. And you can just really build that day-to-day network. Most people have a good amount of peers. The next one are coaches. Sometimes I call these teachers too. These are the folks who literally coach you or teach you how to do something. Like if I wanted to start a podcast, you could coach me on, okay, this is the mic you get. These are the headphones that you get. This is the type of recording software. You're teaching me how to do something, a skill that I don't know how to do. Next up are mentors. Those are the folks who've kind of been there, done that, the day-to-day nuances of your job. You can call them when you've had a really tough day, or you need to advocate for yourself and you're not sure what to say or brainstorm on how to present something at a meeting. And then last but not least are your sponsors. And your sponsors, that's, I think, the new conversation. Everyone is talking about sponsors lately in the workplace. Those are the people who can pull you up from where you are 
and put you where you'd like to be, or what I like to say, like where you belong. Those are the folks who <laughs> they're in rooms that you're not in. You would not be invited okay. to the room. They're in conversations you are not going to be invited to. They essentially advocate for you in okay. places you couldn't be. Okay. So I think that's genius. I love that you put those into four different categories because I'm a numbers person. So I like to see things listed out one, two, three, four. Okay. But don't you see a lot of crossover between the idea of a mentor and a sponsor? Shouldn't a mentor already be someone who's willing to go, you know, at bat for you and help you? Or are these two clearly defined roles that I should seek out within my life? So I think that sponsors can sometimes be mentors, but not every mentor can be a sponsor because some mentors don't have the influence. That power and influence is really, really key in order to be a sponsor. So there can be overlap, but not always. And I think it's important to have various degrees of influence in your relationships. And the way I think about it sometimes, like my mentors are folks who I'll call day to day. I'm like, oh my gosh, can you hop on a call for like 15 minutes? I really need to brainstorm how I'm going to talk to my boss today at five o'clock on this. Um, Versus a sponsor, someone who's a true sponsor, I may not even have access to them that quickly. Okay, that makes sense. And it probably may take me months to get on their calendar. Yeah, I'm like, there's a different level of influence that's there. I was just trying to say like, I, and I'm going to use this in my own career here. I'm a newbie person in the music industry. I'm putting my stuff out there on Spotify. No one knows who I am, but I really have these high ambitions to really get myself out there. And so I'm thinking like right now, I, I probably have people who I consider my mentors, you know, people who I can look up to, to su- support me that way. But I really have like to find that sponsor. I imagine it would take that extra level of effort there, but boy, how awesome would that be if that person could, could really get me to where I need to be. So of course. that makes a lot of sense. And so, and I hate when people ask me this question, so forgive me here, um, <laughs> but I just have to know. So is there a number or a quantity of these people in my life who I should have? Is there like a, a key, you know, should it be like one person within these four categories? Or am I looking to maximize the amount of people I know? I think it's more about the depth of the relationships that you do have. I would rather someone has two to three people in each category. And even if you just have one sponsor who's amazing, I would much rather you have that than have a wide network that isn't deep. Think about the people who you have a relationship with who you can really ask something of. So for instance, I have an old colleague from the last company that I worked at. And if I call her right now, she'll pick up the phone because she knows that she'll help me. No questions asked. If I need to fly to Phoenix to talk to her about something, I can fly to Phoenix and I can sleep on her couch. I would rather someone has relationships like that, that are that deep versus have a million lukewarm where people don't know what city you live in. They don't know the last job that you held. Um, They don't even know your last name, probably. Um, They've just seen you around the way at different events or seen you online. I would much rather your relationships are deeper than casting a wide net. And it really ties back to what you said earlier with like, if I have a deeper connection with somebody and I'm looking to make a referral, then, you know, that's going to be a much more strong referral than the one who maybe I've just met out for a couple of drinks every once in a while, but that makes so much sense. And thanks for bringing that to light. That's awesome. No problem. I'm also, the last thing I'll say on that is I'm also, I love when people have almost like a target list. I think if you know that you want a wider network or you feel like you really do only have one or two, or if you're looking to make a career transition, right. And you need to build a relationship or relationships in a new field, it's okay to have a target list to start cultivating and have people almost like next up like those second degree connections on LinkedIn almost that you're trying to warm up to convert over because I think it's a balance of, yes, you need deep relationships to really take you to the next level. But I think you also need to have 
some people in the hopper for whatever your next season is going to be too. Okay. So an example of that might be, I don't even know you yet. I see what you're posting on LinkedIn. I'm like, ah, I really like what Kimberly Cummings is doing out there. Maybe I'll write your name down and say, maybe this is a person I should reach out to in the future to start cultivating that relationship. Exactly. And if you were looking to reach out to me, something I would do, and I've done this with other people too, is like, start commenting, start commenting, make sure that I see you and find ways to get in the room. One of my mentors, my leak teal, I remember I listened to her podcast for years before I ever got in the room with her. And one of the things she said is when you're looking to cultivate relationships, find a way to get in the room. And that's exactly what I did. I made sure I listened to the podcast. I followed on social. I commented. And then when she was speaking at events, I found ways to get into the room until ultimately I was able to meet her, talk to her. And now I can call her a mentor and friend, but it took a long Hmm. time. It took literally years. If you look back on her Instagram, she shared my book. She was one of my um, book tour folks. And she literally put down, she's like, Kimberly tracked me down. I wasn't trying (laughs) to add any more mentees or mentors to my network. I was not trying, but she wore me down. She's like, and I'm hard to wear down. And when we talked, we talked about it on um, the event that we did. Literally, she's like, I think you were in my network before like 2015 of trying to make these connections. And it took yeah. a while, but that's a definitely a, an example of it doesn't happen overnight. Literally, it's 2021, like five plus years of trying to get in someone's orbit. And you know, that's really motivating for somebody like me who is, you know, I would say like on the shire side, I'm less persistent than I should be in reaching out to people because I'm always afraid like I'm going to bother somebody or, you know, I'm afraid of just, I don't know, that's just been my personality. So to hear that from you, it's like, gosh, you know, this person was persistent and that's how we ended up getting in touch. And I wasn't planning on having a mentee and this person was because of that reason. I think that's really encouraging. So thank you for bringing that example. No problem. I'll bring out one more subtopic before we conclude this episode here. And I want to pivot to the emotional difficulty of transitioning to a role like this. I know we have a lot of job seekers who are trying to get there. They're trying to move up to that director role or they want something that's more high paying or a position that just suits them better. But it's really tough sometimes to be met by rejection and also to just to be confused all the time. So what would you tell those people when they are being met by rejection or uncertainty within their their progression to move on up? So first and foremost, I'm going to say that I understand. And I understand that it's tough Um, and I'm very empathetic to how tough and aggravating and frustrating, irritating it is when you're going through that process of either getting rejected from jobs, especially when you know that you're ready or you're in a job and you feel like a fish out of water when you finally land it. Number one, I think you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that the right job is coming in its due time and you've got to kind of stick it out. I do think sometimes applying for jobs can sometimes be a numbers game. I just had someone on my podcast who in eight months, I think she said she had over a hundred interviews, like an insane amount of interviews. And then something finally landed. So I think a lot of it is like perseverance. Find it. it's just, that was disgusting. I was like, I don't know if I would have been able to do that, but she I, did. And she, <laughs> and she oh my gosh, a lot. And she landed the job, but it was just making sure that she continuously made relationships She doubled down on the right jobs, made sure that she was prepared. I think many times people are applying to the wrong type of jobs too, or not aligning properly. I'm sure you've probably seen this in some of your resume work. You see a resume and you're like, I don't know why you were applying to this type of job or this resume doesn't align. Right before I left my last job, I was looking for some backfills and I asked for some referrals and someone in my network referred someone from her network. And because I do what I do... I was like, do you mind if I give you some feedback? (laughs) She's like, sure. And I was like, this resume 
doesn't align to this job or even two steps below this job. You need to bring this back because I can't vouch and even say this person is for this job. Like I can't because this is also my name too. They need to go back. They need to make these type of edits. I rewrote a few bullets and she was like, oh my gosh, like I never even thought about it that way. And I was like, yes, like this resume doesn't even look like it's aligned to the job that they're applying for. So I think it's making sure that you're in alignment and the next step you're looking to make is an alignment with where you are, your skills, your passions, your interests, et cetera. And then once you do get into a new job, so I think that's also another type of EQ that has to be overcome. I think that fish out of water feeling is real. Here, imposter syndrome a lot. Yes. Is that, yeah. I think to start to surround yourself with folks who can assist you in that transition to make sure like you're not alone and don't be afraid to move strategically. I think many times when we talk, talk about C-suite execs, they come into an organization and do what I call a listening tour. All they do is meet with everyone from the top down to learn about what's happening in the organization versus when we see like mid-level managers, they come into a role and kind of hit the ground running and they don't understand the landscape and that makes it harder. So the recommendation that I say is that When you get into this role, yes, you may have to like, I've been in some of those roles too, where you have to hit the ground running, but also prioritize understanding the landscape. Make sure that you're meeting with all of your peers, all of your manager's peers, all of your direct reports and some of their peers. Make sure you take some time to understand the organization. So as you're moving, you can move intentionally and strategically. So you can have kind of shake off some of those early jitters. And just also the last thing I'll say, and I hated it when someone told me this, but And I feel bad even saying it, but I'll tell you a very quick story because I know you're about to wrap that what's for you will be for you and you will land the job that you're meant to land. I went through a very terrible search process before I moved into talent acquisition. For months, I was coming up as top two and always number two. The last job search that I had, all the connections, all the experience, all of everything, I knew I was going to be number one. You knew that was you. I knew it was mine. I came in number two and I've never like cried over a job and you best believe I was crying. And the number one person rescinded their acceptance. They called me back. Oh, yes. Called me back yep. and said, oh my gosh, we'd love to have you. Blah, 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 blah. Like, would you still do it? I was like, of course. Like the whole night, I thought it was for me. We talked awesome. all the things. I did not get an offer letter. Okay. And I was like, okay, we were waiting on it, scheduling. I mean, we had the meetings, we had like multiple conversations and then they got a little hard to get in contact with. And then like two weeks later, they came back and said, hey, we're going in a different direction and we're not going to hire for this job anymore. Oh, wow. I was You took me on this, oh my gosh. Devastated. Like when I tell you, I was, I was borderline like really depressed. I was like, why do I even apply for jobs? Who am I? I'm a career coach who can't even land the type of job that I want. I was so devastated. That was probably in September. In November, I was like, oh, you know what? I think I want to formally move into diversity, equity, and inclusion. This is what my business is. I would love to do this in a corporate setting. And I kind of was networking, putting some feelers out. My husband went to a networking event. He found someone doing the work that I talked about doing. He connected us over email. You know, November, nobody's talking to anybody in November. You got to wait till January, all the holidays. And we connected, like we'll talk in January. The person reached out to me, I think on like December 14th and said, Hey, this is a job that sounds like what your husband said you wanted. So not even me, what my husband said I wanted. They called me for an interview that Tuesday. I interviewed again that week, maybe two times the following week. And I got an offer in less than 14 days. And I never would have thought that would have happened. And I say that just to like, what's for you? Like that was such a huge power move in my career, salary wise, experience wise, the scope of work wise. Fantastic. It was so hard when I tell you it was so hard, but it was probably one of the (laughs) best things for me. 
And it took a while. I'd been interviewing for probably five, six months. And I had that catastrophic job that I lost. And then a few months later, I pivoted into something I never thought I would, but was perfect. So I share that story to know, like, it happens to me. I get it. Absolutely. It sucks. And you're going to land the opportunity. It's going to be perfect. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing a story like that. And I love people giving their rationale behind an answer like that. It's like, what do you do if you're being met by rejection? But there's just something so powerful about hearing a story that I think brings it and makes it real. So it's like, oh, if Kimberly went through all of that and she's this amazing person who has this background and she was met with rejection, then I can deal with it too because it's just it's just the nature of the game. You know, sometimes it's not you. It's the alignment that you talked about within your answer. And and sometimes it's just getting the strategies right. And persistence, of course, that's a one of the biggest subtopics on this, this podcast, really. And you'll land something. You really will land something. You just got to keep working, working at it. So I love it. So let's hear about the reason why you wrote Next Move, Best Move. I love hearing authors' motivations. And if you could just bring that to light, that'd be great. Oh, gosh, of course. I feel like, well, I have two reasons. I think number one, I do a lot of public speaking, like 50 plus engagements per year. And people thought I had a book before I even had one. They would come up to me at the end and be like, oh, my gosh. This person's an author. (laughs) They have to have a book. Like, oh, my gosh, can I buy your book? And I was like, yeah, I don't really have one of those. So my mentor, one of my mentors who wrote the foreword, Lindsay Pollock, she's a New York Times bestseller. She was like, yeah, it's time. You're going to write a book. And I was like, I don't think I'm ready. She's like, what I I told you, it's time to write a book. She gave me a a book to read about writing a book to put my proposal together. And I went through that process and, and it all came together. All the things that I've taught my clients for years, I'm excited to put into a book. And reason number two, why I really was excited to do it like through speaking and whatnot is because I wanted people to have access to career and leadership development principles. I think not everyone can hire a career coach, a leadership coach, a resume writer, Not everybody has the access to hire those people to help them do it. And I wanted all the information in one area where they can take it and implement. And my book is extremely actionable. I literally italicize all of the gems, like when it was a gem dropping culture right now, I italicize them so you can see them easily. (laughs) And at the end of each chapter, I have a section called Your Next Move that literally tells you what you need to do. So if you want to skim... The cliff notes are in the your next move section so you know exactly what to do. And I'm just so excited that I'm able to deliver a body of work that, of course, it's inspiring. I tell stories. I love to laugh, all that stuff. But it really can help you take your career to the next level. And it's not just for folks who want to transition into a new job. I tell folks that about making any career transition. So whether that's an internal move, like lateral, power lateral, promotional, internal, external to your company, but it's also the mindset of moving from just being an employee to a leader. And I know today we talked about like hierarchy, like the leader at the top, but I also believe that everybody has the ability to lead in their company. Every role is hired because you're supposed to lead that body of work. Yes. Every single person. Great philosophy. Yeah, that's a great concept. You have to do it. You don't want someone to reach out to anyone else about your body of work. That's what I tell folks. And I think that's that's a mindset shift of really not just being a task executor, but saying that you're going to lead and influence in whatever your body of work is. Love that. Well, I just want to say that that's an amazing reason to write a book. And if there's anything I can do to help you out with this, I know you're on this podcast, just let me know because I love the work you're doing and I think you're awesome. So thank thank you, you, Kimberly. Thank you. Perfect. And last thing I like to ask people is how can people get in touch with you? Are you on social? I'm sure you are. I'm on all of the things. If you go to (laughs) KimberlyBCummings.com, you can learn about me personally. If you go to nextmovebestmovebook.com, 
Literally all the links are there so you can grab the book, see anything else that's happening in relation to the book. And I'm at Kim B. Cummings on all the socials, but I will say that Instagram is probably my favorite. Um, And also LinkedIn, of course, Kimberly B. Cummings. No, those are our top two here. So I will make sure to leave that link for people and listeners within the description of this episode. And yeah, check out this body of work. Check out Kimberly's social media. I know I've had a love-hate relationship with social media, but I will say I have used it for professional development purposes is where I'm trying to gravitate towards and move away from just nonstop scrolling and use it with purpose. And so it's so hard sometimes. Yeah, (laughs) it is so addicting. So anyway, Kimberly, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast episode. You were excellent. Thank you so much. All right. So listeners, this wraps up episode 225 of the Career Warrior podcast. Man, we had some amazing insights today, not only on leadership, but on transition and just really progressing forward with gusto. And that's really what I want all of you podcast listeners to take away from this is really to move forward with everything you got and pick the right strategies, have the right tribe network, as was mentioned in this episode, and you will go far. I know I will re-listen to this episode myself, and so I hope if you found this to be a resonating one, please go back and re-listen yourself. Listeners, I will also make sure, as I said again, to link the social media links for Kimberly, as well as the copy of her book, so make sure to check those out as long as you are not jogging or driving. Right, this wraps up episode 225 of the Career Warrior Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. Career Warrior Podcast. And for more on your job search, please make sure to check out Let's Eat Grandma's website at letseatgrandma.com forward slash CWP. That's where you can find her blog, attend job seeker events, and learn more about her awesome resume services. Let me just say, I'm happy you're subscribed on Apple or Spotify, but you are missing out if you haven't seen the additional resources on our website. Once again, that's letseatgrandma.com forward slash CWP. And please don't forget to leave a review. The support from my fellow warriors is what will help me get noticed and what will help the algorithm so other job seekers can discover us too. I promise I read all the reviews and you will just make my day. That's all. I'll see you next episode this Monday morning.